2 Kings, we're back in 2 Kings tonight after a couple of weeks, uh, a couple of weeks off looking at God's word in other directions. A couple of weeks ago we looked at uh, God's will for us and how we can determine that and thanks to Pastor Donnie for filling in for me last week. Um, many of you uh, uh, know that what's going on, what happened with my mom and, and everything and just a quick update, she's got another CAT scan tomorrow morning. If everything's clean, she's going home tomorrow. So praise the Lord. Thank you. We're in 2 Kings chapter 14. Continue to study the, the chronicles of the kings of both the northern tribes of Israel and the southern tribes of Judah. We've been looking at them as they run parallel uh, through, through a timeline, jumping back and forth. And I know it can be confusing trying to follow the names and, and, and how that's all working, but um, we'll do our best to continue to, and I'll try to help us along as we go through that, as we continue through. Um, we looked at, the last time, the reign of King Joash, who was the boy king. Remember that if you've been following us through the study, the line of David got all the way down to one Man, one boy. And in order for the prophecy to be fulfilled that the Messiah must come through the line of David, it came down to one boy. And God, we talked about how God rescued him, he preserved him through a godly couple. And then his reign, um, as we saw back in chapter 12, verse 2, it says that he did right in the sight of the Lord all his days in which Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. As long as he had that godly influence in his life, he did well and he followed the Lord. But after that godly influence died, he, he fell away. And we saw even to the depths of which that happened. Well, we pick up now uh, as we continue in, in the line of Judah first. It says in chapter 14, verse 1, Oh, by the way, keep your finger here and turn to 2 Chronicles 25. That's important. We've got to go back and forth. 2 Chronicles is the, also chronicling for us the same, the same uh, stories, but there's much more detail that we'll need to look at tonight in 2 Chronicles. So 2 Chronicles chapter 25, stick your finger there. Now back to 2 Kings. In the second year of Joash, son of Jehoaz, king of Israel in the north, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jehoiadin of Jerusalem. He did right in the sight of the Lord, yet not like David his father, he did according to all that Joash his father had done, only the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. We've talked of this as we've looked at the kings in Judah, the southern tribes. Even those that followed the Lord, there's always this but attached to it. They did not get rid of the high places. And for the most part, those high places were no longer used to worship Baal and false idols. But the problem is... The Lord said, you are to worship me in Jerusalem in the temple. And for convenience sake, they set up these other high places, and though they felt that they were worshiping the true and living Yahweh God, they were not worshiping him as he desired to be worshiped, as he proclaimed to be worshiped. That's why he continues to make this point. 
just out of convenience, they set up these other things. But guys, let me tell you something. Following the Lord sometimes isn't convenient. <laughs> but to receive the blessing that he desires to pour out upon us, we need to worship him as he prescribes in spirit and in truth. I'll tell you, some of the most blessed times I've ever had with the Lord is my personal study time with him when it's just him and I at three in the morning. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of times it's a lot more convenient for me to hit the snooze alarm, hit the snooze alarm, hit the snooze alarm. But I'll tell you what, I've never regretted getting up and spending time with the Lord. And I'm not saying that that's his command to get up at three in the morning tomorrow. That's, unless he tells you that, then do it, but... But anyway, that is the, that's the, the sin that, that, that the north continued in, and we'll see later, in later kings, that's finally done away with. But verse 5, now it came about, as soon as the kingdom was firmly in his hand, that he killed his servants who had slain the king his father. We see back in chapter 12 that his father's uh, death came about, verse 20 it says, his servants arose and made a conspiracy and struck down Joash at the house of Milo as he was going down to Scylla. So his own servants rose up in a conspiracy and killed him and then placed his son as, as to reign in his place. His son put those to death. But it says, verse 6, the sons of the slayers he did not put to death according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses. As the Lord commanded, saying, The fathers shall not be put to death for the sons, nor the sons be put to death for the fathers, but each shall be put to death for his own sin. It was very common in that time that when a new ruler would come in to rule, that he would do away with any threat, and including the sons and grandsons and whatever else that was there. And here he's following the biblical example that God set forth, that you don't punish the children for the sins of their fathers, and vice versa. So he's following that, and again, following the Lord as we see in these first six verses. Now, here is where we need to jump over to Second Chronicles chapter 25, beginning in verse 5. The first four verses kind of bring us up, are following the same narrative as in Second Kings, but in verse 5, Second Chronicles 25, it says, moreover, Amaziah assembled Judah and appointed them according to their father's households under the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds through Judah and Benjamin. And he took a census of those from 20 years old and upward and found them to be 300,000 choice men able to go to war and handle spear and shield. Verse 6, he hired also 100,000 valiant warriors out of Israel for 100 talents of silver. But a man of God came to him saying, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel, nor with any of the, of the sons of Ephraim. But if you do go, do it. Be strong for the battle, yet God will bring you down before the enemy, for God has power to help and to bring down. Here we see the first, we don't, the, the, the first stumbling point, if you would, for King Amaziah, it was a lack of faith. He did the census, he got his whole army together, we see the numbers, even in the numbers it's pretty, pretty impressive, 300,000 choice men, but he figured if I'm going out into battle, I don't know if this is enough. So he went and he hired 100,000 mercenary soldiers from up in Israel to help and go and fight this battle. He didn't believe that what God had provided him to go forth in the battle was enough. Placing his 
faith in man, placing his faith in the numbers of soldiers, placing his faith in horses and chariots, opposed to what it says, David wrote Psalm 20, some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. We've seen it time and time again. And Amaziah, being a man of God to this point, no doubt knows the stories. He knows the story of Gideon. He knows the stories of how God has brought his people through time and time again, showing that it's not about the numbers of the people, it's about the faith in him, following him, placing their faith completely in the Lord. God kept on telling Gideon, no, you have too many soldiers to go into battle. Nope, keep whittling that number down. Nope, nope, still too many. And then again, it's the arm of the Lord. In his arm is the victory in the battle. But he's placing it in the numbers, and he goes, and it's, it's, not, it's not enough. We have to go out. And we see this recurring theme. We've seen it all the way going back to Solomon on forward, forming ungodly alliances due to a lack of faith in the Lord. Saying, you know, again, I, I, I'm following God to this point, but in order for this to be successful, in order to me, for me to feel really good about this, I'm going to make an, an ungodly alliance. And the Bible is clear, guys. We are not to be unequally yoked. So many people get into trouble because they're worried about their finances, they're worried about something else, and they're willing to get involved in something that even they get that check in their heart. That's, you know, God, God will give us that. The Holy Spirit will give us that check in our heart that says, no, just trust me in this. Do not get involved in that. But, oh, it just looks so good. Man, on paper, this can't fail. You know, and whatever else, and going down that road, Bible says, no, do not be unequally yoked. Don't get involved with unbelievers. Not that we don't minister to them and go to them, but we're not to get involved in business and, and relationships and that type of thing. And yet we see this continuing to go, a lack of trust in the Lord. And here we see this man of God that comes to him and warns him not to do it. He says, do not go. And he says, if you do, you're going to fail. Because God has the power to bring you down, and God has the power to give you victory. Your choice. You choose. <laughs> Amaziah said to the man of God, but what shall I do for the hundred talents of silver that I have given to the troops of Israel? And the man of God answered, the Lord has much more to give you than this. hundred talents of silver, that's a lot of money. A lot of money. And he's like, I already gave him the money. What am I supposed to do with that? And again, Trust in the Lord. Do what's right. God has way more to give you if you follow him and do as he is calling. He always, always has way more to offer than the world does. Then Amaziah dismissed them. So he sends the troops home. He takes the advice, the troops which came to him from Ephraim. So their anger burned against Judah, and they returned home in fierce anger. They're upset, even though they got the money, for several reasons. When you go out and you go into war and they think that they got this thing, there's the plunder that comes from war and that type of stuff, the additional things aligning their pockets, but also the embarrassment of probably being sent home, you know, and that type of thing. So they're furious about this. Verse 11, now Amaziah strengthened himself and led his people forth and went to the Valley of Salt and struck down 10,000 of the sons of Seir. The sons of Judah also captured 10,000 alive and brought them to the top of the cliff and threw them off the top of the cliff so that they were dashed to pieces. But, verse 13, the troops whom Amaziah sent back from going to him to battle 
raided the, chi- the cities of Judah from Samaria to Beth Haran and struck down 3,000 of them and plundered much spoil. So we see he goes off, to victor- goes off to battle and has victory, complete total victory. But it tells us that those that he sent home, sent back to Israel on their way back, attacked some of the cities of Judah and plundered them on their way. Now, lesson in this, he got into it. He got out before it was a disaster where God would have come against them. He still had victory. But guys, it would have been so much better never to get into the position in the first place. God is a God of grace. And if you've gotten involved in a situation that you shouldn't be, if you're in a relationship right now that you know is not honoring the Lord, get out of it now. There might be consequences still that come, but honoring God going forward, you'll be much more blessed. And it's much better never to get into it in the first place. Now we see here the second big step down for Amaziah. He, first of all, didn't trust the Lord to begin with. Notice it says in verse 14, Now after Amaziah came from slaughtering the Edomites, he brought the gods of the sons of Seir and set them up as his gods. He bowed down before them and burned incense to them. What? (laughs) The God that wasn't powerful enough to defeat them, he now takes and sets up and worships it. If the God's not strong enough to deliver the enemy, what makes you think that, I mean, it's certainly not, if you were here this weekend, reasonable, is that? I mean, that's... And here we can see Amaziah, again, this slide down that he's gone. Started with unbelief, and here it keeps sliding down. And I've heard it said that we always, as Christians, need to be as watchful and as diligent after the victory as before the the battle. Before it even begins, we're in prayer and we're dealing with this, but after the victory, we can be so vulnerable because we let our guard down. Hey, we got this. We're past this. We can coast now. And here we see the depths that can happen to this. He, he sets up the gods, he bows down before them. Verse 15, then the anger of the Lord burned against Amaziah and he sent him a prophet. God, even in his anger, is so gracious. He sends him a prophet, he sends him a man to speak to him, who said to him, why have you sought the gods of the people who have not delivered their own people from your hand? Again, great question. As he was talking with him, the king said to him, have we appointed you a royal counselor? Stop, why should you be struck down? Then the prophet stopped and said, I know that God has planned to destroy you because you have not done this and have not listened to my counsel. So God sends him a a, a prophet to come and confront him with what he's doing. And if you'll remember back in 2 Kings, remember it said that he walked in the ways of the Lord except not like his father David? Remember we read that? Now it's not his father David, it's his great, 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 great grandfather David, but like we've said, that, that continuing in that line of David, not like David. It doesn't mean that David was sinless. We know that. But here we see in a, in a frame, why he's not like his father David in following the Lord. Because remember, when David was confronted with his sin, what did he do? He was broken and he repented. He was humbled, broken, 
and repented. And it said the Lord forgave him. The, in, in the same verse as it, as, it, it's, as it says there, the prophet Nathan says, your sin is forgiven. Here we see, unlike David, he hardened his heart. Even in arrogance says to this, this prophet of God, basically, who asked you? Saying directly to God, who asked you your opinion? And we see the response. It says, I know that God has planned to destroy you because you have not done this and have not listened to my counsel, which is the counsel of the Lord. Verse 17 says, Then Amaziah, king of Judah, took counsel and sent to Joash, the son of Jehoaz, the son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, Come, let us face each other. Mano a mano, going to the king of Israel. Cocky off of his win and his battle going against the king of Israel. Hey, how about you and I? Let's, let, let's us do battle now. Now, that's back in 2 Kings. All of that takes place between verses 7 and 8 in 2 Kings. Verse 8, Then Amaziah sent messengers to Jehoash, the son of Jehoaz, son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, Come, let us face each other. Jehoash, king of Israel, sent to Amaziah, king of Judah, saying, the thorn bush, which was in Lebanon, sent to the, said to the cedar, which was in Lebanon, saying, give me your daughter so that my, to my son in marriage. But there passed by a wild beast that was in Lebanon and trampled the thorn bush. His response is this little parable that he gives. You little guy coming up here, to, calling this out, you're, you're going to be wiped out in this. You have indeed defeated Edom, he says in verse 10, and your heart become, has become proud. Enjoy your glory and stay at home. For why should you provoke trouble so that you, even you, would fall and Judah with you? But Amaziah would not listen. God's trying to speak to him through the prophet. He's even trying to speak to him through the king of Israel, who's not a God-fearing man. But he's not listening. He's not hearing Amaziah would not listen. So Jehoash, king of Israel, went up, and he and Amaziah, king of Judah, faced each other at Beth Shemesh, which belongs to Judah. Judah was defeated by Israel, and they fled each to his tent. Then Jehoash, king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Jehoash, the son of Ahaziah, at Beth Shemesh, and came to Jerusalem and tore down the wall of Jerusalem from the gate of Ephraim, to the corner gate, 400 cubits, 600 feet of the wall that surrounds Jerusalem, they tore down. And that, that, that it, it be, being, if you've ever been to Israel, been to Jerusalem, you know the, the fortified pieces of Jerusalem. It, it's, it sits on a hill, but from to the north, it's, it's, the wall is hugely important for defense. And so they tear that wall down, takes, tells us he took the gold and the silver and the utensils which were found in the house of the Lord in the temple, and in the treasuries of the king's house, the ho and hostages also, and returned to Samaria. So Amaziah loses in battle. He loses at home. He's taken captive, along with other hostages, it says here, up to Samaria into Israel. Guys, sometimes God's greatest judgment on a people is letting people have their own way, giving them what they want. And here we see that played out in drastic, with drastic consequences to the southern tribes of Judah. Verse 15, 
Now the rest of the acts of Jehoash, which he did, and his might, and how he fought with Amaziah, king of Judah, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Jehoash slept with his fathers and was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel, and Jeroboam, his son, became king in his place. Verse 17, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, lived 15 years after the death of Jehoash, the son of Jehoaz, king of Israel. Now the rest of the acts of Amaziah, are they not written in the chronicles of the kings of Judah? They conspired against him in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lachish, but they sent after him to Lachish and killed him there. So he gets either released or somehow he leaves his captivity up in Israel and he comes back down home to Jerusalem. But the people there realize in everything that's come about because of his decisions and because he was worshiping these false idols and everything, they set out to kill him. He flees to Lachish. They follow him there and they put him to death. Verse 20, then they brought him on horses and he was buried at Jerusalem with the fathers in the city of David. Now, verse 21, all the people of Judah took Azariah. Now, I'm going to be referring to him by the name that we, mo we know him much better by, and that's Uzziah, King Uzziah. He's called Azariah for a lot of it, King Uzziah, who was 16 years old and made him king in the place of his father, Amaziah. He built Elath and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. Now, we're going to come back to him when we get to chapter 15, but as we finish out 14, we go back to look at the kings of Israel in the north. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria and reigned for 41 years. So here we see an, an, another Jeroboam. Now, unlike the, the first king of the northern tribes was Jeroboam, this is Jeroboam II, He's going to reign for 41 years. That's the longest reign of any king in Israel. And just as a reminder, there was never a good king in the northern kings. Not a single king followed the Lord God. Verse 24 sums it up as it does for every king. It's repeated over and over and over for the kings in Israel. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the kings of Jeroboam I, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel sin. And just as a reminder, what he did, Jeroboam I, that continued on through all of the kings up in Israel, was they set up golden calves in two locations, Dan and Bethel, and said, These, this is Yahweh God, worship, worship this image, worship this golden calf. And that is what continued in the northern tribes. And every king followed that. But this king... Jeroboam, though he was a horrible spiritual leader, was a great military leader and a great leader for the, for the country in every other way. Verse 25, notice it says, he restored the border of Israel from the entrance of Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, which is the Dead Sea, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which, was, which he spoke through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittiah, the prophet, who was of Gath-Hefer. Now, the borders that they just describe here that he restores Israel, the northern tribes to, where, the, where it's never been that much land since the time of Solomon. It's been slowly taken by enemies from around. Through military conquest, now Jeroboam II retakes all, all of this land. Now, it tells us that though Jeroboam was a great 
military leader. It was by the hand of God. And it was even prophesied by Jonah, yes, that Jonah, that, that this would take place. And I, I think that was interesting that, you know, again, here we see Jonah. You know, if you ever wondered if he, if he ever did anything else but be swallowed by a big fish and spit up on the land, and yeah, right here. We don't know the, we don't have any other record of this prophecy that was given, but Jonah was used to prophesy that he was going to take back all of this land, that God was going to, God's hand would be with him to take back all of this land. Interesting, the, 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 the prophets that are involved in this time frame in the, time, in the history of Israel and Judah, Isaiah, Hosea, Amos, and Jonah. Now, if you're here and you say, you actually believe that Jonah was swallowed by a big fish, a whale, and in his belly for three days and then thrown up on the beach? You really believe that? That's not just a story? Yeah, I actually believe that. I believe every bit of it. And you know who else believed it? Jesus believed it. He didn't say, yeah, you remember that fairy tale about Jonah? No, he said, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth, speaking of his death, burial, and resurrection. How could you believe that? How could you believe that? Here's, here's the key to believe in all of those things. You believe Genesis 1.1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He spoke it all into existence. All the rest of this stuff is... <laughs> Guys, if you don't believe in a super, the supernatural power of Almighty God, I pity you. Because, guys, that, that, that's where our hope is. He... He is not bound by anything that we look around us. That's why when we look around and we see nothing but hopelessness around us, we can have hope because we serve the almighty, all-powerful God that can do anything he wants, anything he wants, whenever he desires. He's not bound by anything except his word. So yeah, I believe it. Glad you asked, though. So... He, he cries out, he, Jonah says this is going to happen, they take back this land, and it tells us why, verse 26, for the Lord saw the affliction of Israel, this northern tribes that have turned their back on him, have not followed him, there, I, there was a remnant there for sure as we've seen, as we've gone through, but as a whole, the northern tribes, they have not followed the Lord at all. But notice again, because he has a heart for them, he saw the affliction of them, and he saw that it was very bitter, for there was neither bond nor free, nor there was any help for Israel. The Lord did not say that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, but he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. And I, again, I, I love the long-suffering patience of God that's laid out in this. Despite that, the continued turning and running away, God continued to reach out his hand to them, even miraculously restoring this land. Paul tells us in Romans that it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. It's his, his kindness that he continues to extend. 
even, even when at times, even as Christians, we can, we can drift away. Or if you're here tonight and you're just, you're just kind of putting on a game, you know that you're not walking with the Lord, but, but it's, it's, it's his kindness that is reaching out to you. But don't take his kindness as somehow his approval for your lifestyle. Sometimes it's easy for us to say, yeah, you know what, things are going really good, so God must be okay with this. Even though I know his word says I shouldn't be in this relationship or I shouldn't be looking at that on the computer or I shouldn't be talking like this in this place or I shouldn't be doing that, even though I know it's wrong, things are going pretty good, so it must be that God's okay with it. He's not. He's not. Don't ever take his kindness, his long-suffering, his patience as his approval. His patience is giving you time to repent. (laughs) And there's no better time to do that than right now. Unfortunately, they didn't. Now the rest, verse 28, the rest of the acts of Jeroboam and all that he did and his might, how he fought and how he recovered for Israel, Damascus and Hamath, which belonged to Judah, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Jeroboam slept with his fathers, even with the kings of Israel, and Zechariah, his son, became king in his place. Chapter 15, in the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Azariah, son of Amaziah, king of Judah, became king. He was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. Here we're introduced again. It, tell, it, it, it says Amaziah, this is King Uzziah, tells us that he took the throne right after he got his chariot's permit, 16 years old, teenager. He ruled for 52 years. This is the longest reign to this point in Judah of any king. It tells us in verse 3, he did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. Again, verse 4, only the high places were not taken away The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Again, I will have you now turn back to 2 Chronicles. I hope you didn't take your finger out of there. I didn't tell you to keep it there, but we're in chapter now 26 of 2 Chronicles. And it tells us again that in the first few verses, what we just read in 2 Kings, but 2 Chronicles... Chapter 26, verse 5, he continued to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who was understanding through the vision of God, and as long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. As long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. As long as he sought the things of God and went after those things and reigned with the heart after God, it says God prospered him. Jesus said, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All of the things that we worry about, that we chase after, the the, the different things. God will give us everything that we need if we seek his kingdom and his righteousness. The psalmist says, no good thing will he withhold from the one who walks uprightly. If we're following the Lord... It's a promise that he will not withhold one good thing from us. 
And I hold that, and I, 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 I love that verse because that means if there's something that, I'm, if I'm following the Lord truly, and there's something that I desperately want, but I'm not getting it, what does that mean? It's not good for me. <laughs> no good thing, not, not what I want, but what God knows is best. And for all the days, as long as Uzziah sought the Lord, God prospered him. And it goes in now, beginning in verse 6, it, ta- it shows how he prospered in all of these years. Now he went out and warred against the Philistines and broke down the wall of Gath and the wall of Jebneth and the wall of Ashdod. And he built cities in the area of Ashdod and among the Philistines, great military battles. And then he's building cities in these these lands that he's conquering. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians who lived in Gur Baal and the Menuhites. The Ammonites also gave tribute to Uzziah. So he's got these foreign countries now paying money in. His fame extended to the borders of Egypt and he became very strong. Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate and at the corner buttress in a fortified city and fortified them. So not only in other lands he's building, he's building at home, rebuilding the wall that was torn down, building towers. He built towers in the wilderness and hewed many cisterns, had much livestock both in the lowlands and in the plain. He also had plowmen and vine dressers in the hill country and fertile fields for, the, for he loved the soil. So he was a gardener, green thumb. Moreover, Uzziah had an army ready for battle, which entered combat by divisions according to the number of their muster prepared by Jael, the scribe, and Machiel, the officer, under the directions of Hananiah, one of the king's officers. The total number of the heads of the households of valiant warriors was 2,600. Under the direction was an elite army of 307,500 who could wage war with great power to help the king against the enemy. Moreover, Uzziah prepared for all of his army spears and shields and helmets and body armor and bows and sling stones. In Jerusalem, he made engines of war invented by skillful men to be on the towers of the corners for all the purposes of shooting arrows and great stones. His fame spread afar, for he was marvelously helped until he was strong. We read this and we see his, his military conquests, the agricultural things, the advancements, all of this stuff, even inventing new wep- war, we- uh, weapons of war and all of this kind of stuff, great things. But notice it says, until he was strong, verse 16, that word but. When he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corrupted, corruptly And he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, for he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Man, don't you wish verse 16 wasn't in there. (laughs) Here we have this king who's going after God and serving God and God is blessing and just going, going, going. But here we get to one of those other danger points. We talked about disbelief. We talked about letting your guard down. We talked about this. But here's here's the big one, guys. Pride. Pride. Uzziah forgot that it, he has all he has what he has because of God. It's God's hand of blessing on him. 
he took the reins of this thing when he was 16 years old. He, like I said, he's just taking the training wheels off his chariot, and he, he's just now, he, and just now, the king, and God, God prospers him and leads him in all of this. But he became proud. All of a sudden, man, look at me. Man, look at, look at all the press clippings. Look at all of this. Look at all of that. Guys, we have to be so careful. It doesn't matter where you go in your, in your chosen field. No matter how high you climb, it is only by the grace of God. Reading, I get this great gift from a friend. It's a prayer journal, and it gives a daily prayer to start out, and then it's just time of reflection and taking some notes in there. And one of the prayers recently that I was reading was, God, thank you for everything that I have that, that I had nothing to do with beginning with where I was born. Guys, do you realize how blessed you are that, you're, that you are born and live where you live? You know, all of you who are so proud of your accomplishments in, in business and in whatever you are, what if you were born in India in the caste system? And you're one of those that you, you would have had no chance to be where you are. It's by the grace of God. Every breath that we take is his gift. Don't ever forget that. It's so easy. We're so susceptible to that. That pride that says, oh, look what I've done. Look what I've done. And it can happen to the most godly of people. Look, it happened right here to King Uzziah, the one that said, man, he was doing great. And then it came to this. And it was very clear in God's word. No king, no king. I don't care who you are can do what he's about to do, to go in and burn incense on the altar. That was for the, the job of the Levites, the priests, period. But he now gets to this point where he's saying, man, those rules don't apply to me. Then Azariah, the priest, entered after him with 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men, and they opposed Uzziah the king and said to him, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the son of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn the incense. They were set apart for that very purpose. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful and will have no honor from the Lord God. That took guts, guys. <laughs> to go to a king as popular as Uzziah is at this time and say, you are out of line, get out. But they're far more concerned with the glory of God than how they stand before the king. And they call him out. But, verse 19, Uzziah, with a censer in his hand for burning incense, was enraged. And that word means, I mean, he was fit to be tied. I mean, absolutely coming unglued that they would have the nerve to say that to him. And while he was enraged with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord beside the altar of incense. Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous on his forehead. And they hurried him out of there, and he himself also hastened to get out because the Lord had smitten him. King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, and he lived in a separate house, being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord, and Jotham his son was over the king's house, judging the people for the land. Sad, sad ending, great beginning. Back in 2 Kings, interesting, Azariah 
means Jehovah has helped. He changed his name when he began to reign to Uzziah, which means Jehovah is strength. He got it at the beginning. He understood it. He changed it. Jehovah's strength. He is my strength. Problem is, when he started relying on his own and believing it was his strength is where his downfall came. Well, verse 5, the Lord struck the king so that he was a leper to the day of his death, and he lived in a separate house while Jotham, the king's son, was over the household judging the people of the land. Now, the rest of the acts of Azariah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And Azariah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the city of David. And Jotham, his son, became king in his place. All right, beginning now in verse 8, I'm just going to read pretty quickly through this. We're going to look at five kings um, in pretty rapid succession. These are kings in the north in in Israel. We're going to see kind of a pattern here that continues. Verse 8, in the 38th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Zechariah, the son of Jeroboam, became king over Israel and Samaria for six months. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, as his fathers has done. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel sin. Then Shalom, the son of Jabesh, conspired against him and struck him before the people and killed him and reigned in his place. So he reigns for six months. Here's this guy, stands up in front of a whole group of people, kills him, and he steps in to reign. Now the rest of the acts of Zechariah, behold, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. This is the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Jehu, saying, Your sons to the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. Remember that back in chapter 10, that Jehu, God said that your sons will sit for four generations on the throne. That's it. He's the end of it, the fourth generation. And so it's not his son that now steps in. It's Shalem, the man who kills him. Shalem, the son of Jabesh, became king in the 39th year of Uzziah, king of Judah. And he reigned one whole month in Samaria. Then Menahem, the son of Gadi, went up from Tirzah, and he came to Samaria and struck Shalom, the son of Jabesh, in Samaria, and killed him and became king in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Shalom and his conspiracy with which he made, behold, are they written in the books of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. That's got to be a short chapter. Then Menahem struck Tifsah and all who were in it and its borders from Tirzah, because they did not open to him, therefore he struck it and ripped all of its women who were with child. This man who now kills this, this one <laughs> that reigned for a month, he steps into line and he's going to be king. Well, this one particular city wasn't willing to come along with it. So he goes, knocks, knocks it all down, and kills all of the women and rips their, the pregnant women, and rips their unborn children out of, out of that. I mean, that, the, but brutal. In the 39th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Menahem, son of Gadi, became king over Israel, and he reigned 10 years in Samaria. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, did not depart from the days of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he made Israel sin. Paul, king of Assyria, first time they're mentioned, won't be the last, came against the land, and Menahem gave Paul a thousand talents of silver so that his hand might be with him to strengthen the kingdom under his rule. So the king of Assyria comes down against them. Instead of seeking the Lord, instead of going and following the Lord against battle, he figures, you know what I'll do? I'll buy him off. I got a plan. This will work. 
the amount of silver that's given here is an enormous sum of money that he gives to the king of Assyria to buy him off. Then Menahem exacted money from Israel, even all the mighty men of wealth, from each 50 shekels of silver to pay the king of Assyria. So Menahem, he taxes the rich to make up for his dumb ideas and plans that don't work. Guess some things never change. Um, so the king of Assyria returned and did not remain there in the land. Now the rest of the acts of Menahem and all that he did are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel. Menahem slept with his fathers and Pekahiah, the son, his son, became king in his place. In the 50th year, Bazariah, king of Judah, Pekahiah, the son of Manahem, became king over Israel and Samaria, and he reigned two years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he made Israel sin. Then Pekah, the son of Remaliah, his officer, conspired against him and struck him in Samaria in the castle of the king's house with Argob and Ariah, and with him were 50 men of the Gileadites, and he killed him and became king in his place." Kind of a crazy <laughs> one after another after another. Rise to power a couple of years, ki killed, on and on and on. Now the rest of the acts of Pekahiah and all he did, behold, are they written in the kings of the chronicles of the kings of Israel. In the 52nd year of Azariah, king of Judah, Pekah, the son of Romaliah, became king over Israel in Samaria, and he reigned 20 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he made Israel sin. In the days of Pekah, king of Israel, Tigla-Pilzer, king of Assyria, came and captured Aijan and Abel-Beth-Mekah and Genoa and Kadesh and Hazor and Gilead and Galilee, all the land of Naphtali, and he carried them off to captive in Assyria. So here comes Assyria again and takes a chunk of, of Israel and carries away many. And Hosea, the son of Elah, made a conspiracy against Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, and struck him and put him to death and became king in his place in the 20th year of Jotham, the son of Uzziah. Now the rest of the acts of Pekah and all he did, behold, they are written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel. Yikes. Quite a, <laughs> quite a recount really quickly running through a whole bunch of years and a whole bunch of kings. But again, wicked kings, there was never a good king in the northern tribes of Israel. We're going to jump back real quickly down in Judah. So we finish chapter 15. In the second year of Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of, of Israel, Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He did according to all that his father Uzziah had done. Again, only the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burnt incense on the high places. He built the upper gate of the house of the Lord. Now, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read one verse with, in 2 Chronicles about him. It says in 2 Chronicles 27, verse 6, So Jotham became mighty because he ordered his ways before the Lord his God. Again, he was mighty, he was successful because he followed God. He ordered his ways after the Lord God. Great advice for all of us. Now the rest of the acts of Jotham and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? 
In those days, the Lord began to send Rezin, king of Aram, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, against Judah. And Jotham slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. And Ahaz, his son, became king in his place. We start seeing now, we're going to see this Rezin again, king of Aram and kings of Assyria as we continue to study through these next chapters. But we've looked at these kings and one after another. Bad kings, some, some kings starting off good but then falling away later on and just one after another after another and it really seems hopeless. And we look around even... I mean, look at the leaders in the world, all, all over. I mean, we, we place way too much faith in, in the leaders of our world and, and in the leaders of our country. And, and there are some good leaders, but they're all going to end up, you know, letting down because they're human and all of that kind of stuff. And I guess as I want to finish with this, Bible students, that, that name Uzziah should ring a bell. And if you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah writing, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne. Guys, just as the, to kind of put a positive spin on this rather negative part, guys, it doesn't matter where we look around, whoever's sitting on whatever earthly throne Guys, we need to look to heaven because the Lord is still on the throne. He's never gotten off. He never will. <laughs> and, Uzziah, and Isaiah, when in this time that's going on, all of this around, he's, he's, he's mourning the, the death of King Uzziah. Overall, a very good king. It was just in the end, again, his pride that came in there. And he's mourning this. He says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundation of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Isaiah, standing in the presence of God, seeing this and understanding now and seeing just a glimpse of the holiness of God, he said, woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Guys, we are, we are sinners, all of us. Live in a world full of sinners. But as Christians, we've been touched by the blood of Jesus and all of our sin has been forgiven. We stand before God, a holy and righteous and perfect God, blameless and righteous. Verse 8 says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I. Send me. Again, in this time, this craziness, I said, the, the debate going on tonight and the elections that are right around the corner, 
guys, we need to do our diligence and, and duty as Christians and vote our values. But guys, bottom line, just like it is here, Lord, here we are. Send us. Use us in these times. Use us to affect the culture that we live in. Use us to make a difference in the times that we live in. Because it doesn't matter what happens on an earthly level. We know it's going to continue to get worse and worse and worse. But it's up to us that while we're still here that we allow God to use us to affect individuals, to get involved. And I believe there's still time for revival. Until, until the Lord calls us home, there's still work to be done. So here we are. Send us, right? Amen? Lord, we thank you for the truth that we stand before you forgiven, washed clean by the blood of Jesus. And Lord, we do lift up our country to you. Lord, we're in very difficult times. And Lord, the events over the next few weeks are going to determine a lot. But Lord, we, uh, we understand and we know and we hold on to the fact that you are sovereign, that you are on the throne that it's you, Lord God, who controls things. So we just come to you, Lord, and we ask that you would send us, that you would use us. Lord, that we would be faithful to the end. Lord, we've seen some examples of some kings who started out strong, but whether it was unbelief or getting carried away by the gods of the world or pride, or they didn't finish well. Lord, we want to finish well. We want to run the race that is set before us. We want to run it with endurance. And Jesus, we fix our gaze on you. We fix our, fix our focus on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Have your way in us, Lord. We thank you and praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.